Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gill here with Mike Renner, ready to rip it up Thanksgiving week. Talking a little college football playoff, 2022 NFL draft risers and fallers. Jason Garrett out as offensive coordinator with the New York Giants. A Thanksgiving preview and second year breakouts in the NFL. Let's get it. Jason Garrett officially out with the New York Giants, no longer the offensive coordinator in New York. The New York Giants over that span ranked 31st in EPA per play, 31st in scoring drive percentage, and 31st in successful play rate. And I'll say this, Jason Garrett did not help anything there, but also EPA is largely driven by turnovers, right? And you're turning over the ball at the rate that Daniel Jones is. No quarter, no player has turned the ball over at a higher rate than Daniel Jones since he's entered the league. He leads all players with 61 total fumbles and interceptions since 2019. Now, Daniel Jones is to blame for this. I think Gettleman's to blame for this. Jason Garrett, obviously, to blame. Jason Garrett, the first scapegoat out in New York. I don't know, Austin. I remember earlier this year you were talking about Daniel Jones is the guy there. What happened? I don't know. Here's the thing. In the beginning of the year, right, talking Daniel Jones, my thing has always been he plays well, he plays well, and then he has this, like, terrible turnover. But now, at the rate that he's doing them, he's he's almost averaging two turnovers per game. He's played in his career. He has 61 turnovers in 31, 37 career games. Yeah. It has been a disaster. And when you do play well or whatever and, you know, but have these like costly turnovers per game, I mean, it's getting harder and harder to kind of hit your wagon to a turnover machine. He's become a turnover machine. No, I mean, he doesn't have, he has never had a good situation around him as well. I, I will give you that. But I do think he's not going to change his stripe. He's not going to become this protector of the football. That's the like thing. The fumbles the bad decisions are who he is at, at this point. I think we have enough data dating back all the way to Duke when he was like that. I will say, though, this, I think, to me, is just a, the first domino of many to fall there in New York after the season, going to 3-7 and seven now. Even if they have a late-season resurgence of the ilk they had in 2020, I don't think that's saving some other people's jobs there in that building, specifically person calling the shots and managing this roster because we've talked about on this show we talk a lot about roster building obviously all spring that's what we're talking about and we always say the holy grail is a quarterback on the rookie deal they have they're in that prime year that kyler murray year that year that you should have built this perfect year year three around your rookie quarterbacks roster the the, the mahomes year when they won the super bowl that is the year everyone plans for and you have one of the worst rosters in the nfl still You have all this money to play with. You have the 32nd highest paid quarterback in the NFL, and you still have a shit roster full of holes, still have terrible pass protection for him up front, still have no pass rush whatsoever on the opposite side of the ball. Where did all that money go? Where's all that money being spent? Because it's not on a good roster. Or Jason Garrett anymore, to be honest. Or now on Jason Garrett either. I I think we can talk about the roster decisions all day long, right? Like Kenny Galladay, not an elite separator. He's a contested catch guy. Maybe it was not worth spending that big. Kadarius Toney, who they are trying to get more involved in the offense. But he had 12 targets and 40 yards last night. Jason Garrett, go ahead. I didn't want to say it, but that that clip that Orlovsky tweeted out about the busted mesh play. I think that was Son Kadaris Tony. Really? Honestly. I mean, like it looked like it was, but I didn't, I didn't want to go on a limb there and say it. But like that was kind of his thing at Florida was like when 
like he was not running routes. Not the way, yeah, exactly. And like, and he would kind of freestyle to get himself open when he thought that's where it was best. And that to me looked like him freestyle. And if there's anything this offense needed was polish, right? Yeah. I mean, you needed polish at receiver. The offensive line, even though Andrew Thomas has played a lot better this year, he's been hurt, and the backups that they've had have not played well. The roster decisions have not been good. But then you pair it with Jason Garrett and Freddie Kitchens as your offensive coordinator and senior offensive assistant. Two guys that have habitually failed in the NFL to take advantage of their resources. I mean, this is malpractice. I mean, it's malpractice on the people making these decisions to fit Daniel Jones in this roster, but also, um, you know, bringing on this sideline, right? Bringing on this coaching staff. And now this is, like you said, the first of probably many dominoes to fall. I don't think Freddie Kitchens is the long-term answer at offense coordinator, and I don't know how many more other dominoes will fall too. Yeah, and this was a decision, the hiring of Jason Garrett was one of those where it was just like, it was like Adam Gaze going to the Jets. So you just saw him run a dated offense, get passed by by the rest of the league schematically, and have an inability to scheme around the talent that he is given to and try to force his scheme on his players. You saw that with Jason Garrett in Dallas. You saw that with Adam Gaze in Miami. Why did you go out and think that was the guy that was going to change things around for you? Like, there's a reason why Dallas moved to Kellen Moore before, uh, like, moved more towards Kellen Moore prior to Jason Garrett getting fired and then kept him on afterwards because he was the guy actually changing that offense and actually bring them into a modern era of play calling. And Jason Garrett's still stuck in his West Coast roots. You hate to see it. You really hate to see it. And as for the Daniel Jones conversation, I, I'm of the opinion that there are positives to Daniel Jones' game. And even... I would argue, I think PFF had like a third round grade on Daniel Jones coming out, and there was turnovers and these different things. I'd still argue that he's exceeded some of those expectations, right? Mm -hmm. It's just the turnovers have been absolutely horrendous at a rate that literally no other quarterback has ever done over the last three years. Um, I think you have to hope that uh, he gets, but I think you still want to give him another opportunity, right? Maybe it's not in New York. Maybe New York needs to completely reset both on the sideline and on the football field. But if Sam Darnold gets a second shot, if Sam Darnold gets a second shot to start, I think Daniel Jones in a new situation deserves one. Well, shit, I mean, if, so if they don't, if they obviously keep Dave Gettleman in charge, Daniel Jones isn't going anywhere. They, they are keeping him next year, and they're not addressing the quarterback position. That's just, you can book that right now. Let's get to the second-year breakouts list. You wrote an article for PFF.com highlighting some of these second-year breakouts in the NFL this year, starting with none other than quarterbacks Joe Burrow Cincinnati Bengals and Jalen Hurts of the Philadelphia Eagles let's start with Burrow this Burrow breakout right last year he graded really well before the injury and then this year he has kind of ascended even further I think he ranks top five in PFF passing grade from a clean pocket so far this year I think top 10 overall in PFF grade so far this year what has like led to that ascension for you how is how much of it is just Jamar Chase and finally having a deep ball this year that's massive I mean that has been insanely massive for him I, I think that's a good portion of it because that it's a breakout but everyone saw that he was going to be good last year yeah i think everyone saw this as long as the offensive line did not break him and obviously it has not even after tearing his acl as long as the offensive line did not break him he was going to be good you saw the accuracy you saw the poise you saw all these good things but now just statistically just performance of that offense completion percentage jumped by three points three percentage points yards per attempt 1.7 points higher overall grade uh jumped by over seven points and his consistency week in and week out like this past week against the raiders was his lowest graded game all season he had been above that every single week prior to that so yeah joe burrow i mean it's only 
it's kind of only a matter of can they put the pieces around him now? Can you build a good enough roster because they're more than good enough at that position to go wherever they want to go? which you would want to go to a Super Bowl, but I think you might want to start with going to the playoffs first, too. Yeah, I think they need to continue to invest in the offensive line, specifically in the interior. I think they can afford to get younger at offensive tackle. Obviously, Riley Reef, who has played well for them this year, yeah. but don't stop. Right? It was a nice like, stopgap. I mean, it was a nice stopgap to get him the protection he needed, but you got to upgrade there. Got to upgrade a couple interior positions. Like it's, they're not done. I would say don't stop investing in the trenches this offseason. I think they continue. They can continue to throw resources at interior defensive line and edge defender, and also interior and interior offensive line. Like go invest in yeah. the trenches. You have skill players like Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase that are obviously really positive. You don't need to spend a second round pick on another Drew Sample. Just go chase the trenches and continue mm-hmm. to fit there because I think that's where Cincinnati has a lot of this opportunity to improve because they have a lot of good players there, right? Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard. DJ Reader, but getting excellence yeah. in the trenches and getting excellence on both sides of the ball there, I think would be super positive for them. As for Jalen Hurts, he has become he's legitimately made steps. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He like I, I didn't see this coming this year, right? Yeah. And I think you look at what Jason Garrett has done with Daniel Jones and not fit him with the, the tools to succeed. Nick Sirianni, I think, has done a good job of putting Jalen Hurts in a position to succeed, limiting his average depth of target, running the football with him a ton, yeah. establishing, the, establishing this run game with Boston Scott, Miles Sanders, and Jalen Hurts. We said this, I think, going into this year. If you're going to win with Jalen Hurts, who is, by every measure, not an accurate quarterback down the football field, as accurate as some of these other guys like Joe Burrow and some of the top of the class, you need to establish a Lamar Jackson-esque offense in where you're limiting high-risk, you know, challenging throws down the football field outside the numbers and running the football and leveraging his legs. Even if he's not Lamar Jackson's caliber of an athlete, yeah. he's still that's the type of offense you winning, need. Yeah, and winning, Sirianni has found it down the stretch here. It's a winning formula. Uh, we've talked about it. It's a high floor formula, and that's why it, a formula, high formula. <laughs> it is. And, I hate it, but I love and it. And it's like they haven't asked him a ton. He, he's only passed for over 200 yards once in his last seven games. Like that's and they're winning, and it's because. When you have that off the line from and we're not going to rehash this because we talk about this fucking every single week, it seems like. Mm-hmm. But that is a formula that has won consistently, whether it was Tyrod Taylor back when he was a shitty with the Texans now or back when he was with the Buffalo Bills. And whether it's Lamar Jackson, like if you have that guy who is that dynamic at the quarterback position combined with a very good offensive line, you'll win a lot of football games. And so obviously we'll get to the discussion of what to do with them or what to do at the quarterback position, is it enough to win in today's NFL, just having a good running game? Um, obviously come later this year, if so should they make the playoffs in the spring, come draft time. But I do think even as a passer, even just from a decision-making standpoint, two turnover-worthy plays in his last five games, that's that's real. That's playing good football, turnover-worthy play rate cut nearly in half from last year, has taken big strides, definitely a breakout this season and I, and I wanted to do this breakout because i shit well, this is like the classic off-season content of who's going to be the second year breakout and then mm-hmm. once it happens once the season starts no one gives a shit no one ever talks no one ever talks yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's worth rehashing these uh takes because uh, i i think like i said it doesn't get talked about enough i love this next breakout here you have former usc wide receiver michael Pittman jr and i think of uh, among the players we've drafted over the past two or three years I am confident in that Michael Pittman Jr. is one of the few where it's like he is exactly who we thought he was. Like Michael Pittman Jr., all of the draft takes that you saw on him, and he went to the Senior Bowl, and we talked to, uh, a ton about him in that pre-draft process. Like this is who he is, right? He's a big receiver, big body guy, contested catch guy, doesn't drop anything, and can still win despite a bigger frame down the football field. 
This year, he's been phenomenal. 13 of 18 in contested catch situations. Only one drop on the season. And is actually like legitimately the number one receiver on this Colts team. With T.O. Hilton battling injuries, Michael Pittman Jr. has been the guy for Carson Wentz and Indianapolis. And I think you will continue to see him be that guy so far. I mean, so far this year, he's been outstanding. Definitely a breakout. And exactly winning the way that you saw him win down the football field on 11.1 average depth of target like he did at USC. Yeah, this was one. I mean, the Colts 2020 draft was excellent. If Add in Julian Blackman, the third rounder as well, and Jonathan Taylor. But this is one that we said all draft season. We're like, him to that offense. He's a, a much more talented player than where he ended up going 34th overall. We had him as 22nd in the PFF draft board. He just, the guy can get open underneath the intermediate and then down the football field, he can beat dudes at the catch point. And that's exactly, exactly what he has done. And that, like, he has. 752 yards this season and that's not even like counting the countless downfield pass interference penalties that oh yeah true forced like uh, those are been massive additions to this offense as well 13 of 18 in contested situations this year like when you are a contested catch type of wide receiver you better look like michael pittman you better be 6 4 220 yeah you better be able to literally be physically more dominant than every single cornerback going against and oh by the way that is him he has been phenomenal. You have offensive tackle Andrew Thomas, who caught a touchdown oh, yeah. last night after whiffing a massive block in the run game. He catches a touchdown. He looked like he had some ball skills there, reminiscent of maybe that a J.J. Ortega-Whiteside in his prime. He's got a 90.4 receiving grade now. That's hot. That's hot. <laughs> I don't even know Andrew Thomas, too, though, like it, before yeah. he got – so he got hurt – earlier this season but to start this year he ranked inside i think the top five in pressure rate allowed on true pass sets he legitimately this is another guy like when you look at jalen hurts he legitimately had taken a massive step forward after his rookie season and you had that all that stuff about them firing their offensive line coaches in his rookie season going to a new one and then going to this year like he has had a very rough start to his nfl career as many players trying to get developed on that new york giants roster but he has overcome a lot of that also overcome injuries to play exceptional for the New York Giants this season. Andrew Thomas, PFF's OT1 in that draft class. I think in hindsight, you'd still put Tristan Wirfs yeah, ahead of Andrew Thomas, but still, but he's at least that, living up to some of that billing. Yeah, I would say, after Wirfs, it's a conversation right now, and Thomas is thickly in it. Uh, yeah, obviously, Mekhi Becton Thickly is di- in it. I mean, they're all thickly in wherever they are. But Thomas, it's between him and Wills, obviously, with Becton getting hurt uh, and have, dealing with a bunch of injuries this year. But Thomas, only nine pressures allowed all season long on 244 pass blocking snaps. He allowed 10 sacks as a rookie. So that's a little bit it's a little bit different. 57 pressures as a rookie. He's obviously taken massive, massive strides and more receiving touchdowns than Tristan Morris. You more receiving touchdowns than Tristan Morris. How many does Panay Sewell have? That's always the conversation yeah. with them. Other breakout here you have edge defender Jonathan Grenard, Houston Texans. Another senior bowl guy. Draft starts in Mobile. You love to see it. Jonathan Grenard. Did we love him coming out? I don't think so. But he has had a really strong season, what has otherwise been a asshole season for the Houston Texans, despite the limited reps you get to see Terod Taylor put it all on the line. But Grenard, 84.5 overall grade in the seven games this past year. I mean, he has been phenomenal. He is this one I didn't see. Uh, I mean, we talked about how much athleticism matters on the edge. Here are Grenard's numbers coming out of Florida. 48740. And so he's 6'3, 263. 48740-95 broad jump. 30 and a half inch vertical, 434 shuttle on a 7133 cone. Those are bad, like flat out, not good. But like you said, the guy has been uber productive, probably the lone bright spot on this Houston Texas offensive line, 84.0 pass rushing grade. Um, 
after really not doing much of anything. Six pressures as his entire rookie season. Yeah, that's definitely a breakout that I'm not sure how many lists were going second year breakout Jonathan Grenard. Do you do you feel it's sustainable though, right? I think I think I mean he's the, been pretty consistently like yeah, he's faced some bad tackles over that span, but also like every single game above average grades except for against New England. Some of that athleticism stuff though, right? Like shows up in inconsistency. It'd be interesting to see if he can close out the season with similar consistency if you're going to look at him as like this third year guy. Yeah. AJ Terrell, oh my goodness. Him this low on the list. I know you didn't rank them, but hmm. probably no, should have brought him up first. AJ Terrell has allowed, I think, the fewest yards per coverage snap of any cornerback this season. Very few first downs. Lowest pass rating when targeted. Has been phenomenal in contested catch situations. Mm-hmm. He has been exceptional. Easily the best cornerback from this class, right? I mean, there was Jeffrey Akuda in this class and others, but like A.J. Terrell has stepped up massively. Did you even see this coming? I know you like Terrell, but did you see him you know, developing into like legitimately a CB1 for Atlanta? Not this quickly. To be honest, I didn't see it. I mean, just go back and watch his last collegiate game. Got crushed, absolutely dogged by Jamar Chase, like over 200 yards in coverage. And so, you know, he's there at the catch point on a number of them and actually had a couple pass breakups in that game. Like you saw the high-end traits that he does have. That's why he goes 16th overall. But I don't think anyone would predict going from a 57.0 overall coverage grade to an 86.1 this quickly. And shit. 125 yards allowed all season long. First pick this past week on Thursday night against the Pats. He's just been as locked down as you see in the NFL this year. Another guy we really liked coming out of that class, Christian Fulton, who oh, former yeah. second round pick. This one I did say. For, no, the, no, for, the, either, for the Tennessee Titans, second round pick, pick 61 overall. He's allowed 70 yards in just two games this year, but other games outside of that. So he allowed 79 against Seattle, 73 against New York. And then in the other games he's played, four yards allowed in week one, five yards allowed in week three, 30 yards allowed in week five, and then gets hurt, comes back. Over the past two weeks, zero yards allowed on two targets over the past two weeks. He also has six passes defensed and a pick on the season. Yeah. He has stepped up in what's otherwise been like a very young, like inexperienced Tennessee Titans secondary that they move on from Malcolm Butler, they move on from Adore Jackson, and they put a lot on Fulton and Caleb Farley, who's also battled injuries this year, Elijah Molden too, Amani mm-hmm. Hooker, this young secondary, and he's been one of the bright spots. The last three guys on this list is why we say – throw out the rookie season for almost everyone not almost everyone. obviously if it's good that's good but just because someone is bad like you know Jonathan Greener was just because someone literally can't see the field like Christian Fulton couldn't as a rookie like he has uh Chris Jackson starting the slot over him and yeah now he's not really a slot cornerback he's an outside cornerback but like you would think that if he was anywhere competent he'd be starting over Jackson is seventh rounder or UDFA. He'd be starting over a guy like that in the slot. Could not see the field. 209 snaps all rookie season. And that's with the Dory Jackson being out most of that year. All of a sudden this year when he's on the football field, 11 of 30 targets all season long he's allowed. He has been excellent for them. So uh, we were actually super high on him. He was 13th on the PFF draft board. That was one that I couldn't believe he fell to the second round. I get why maybe he did. Shorter arms, 30-inch arms I think he had coming out. But like compare him, his tape to... Uh, Gosh, Ohio State Raiders. Damon Arnett. Damon Arnett's tape. Well, which tape? tape? The Damon tape Ar- that he's recording on his phone and <laughs> sending to random people. Any tape from Damon Arnett ever? <laughs> Compare him to that, and I all of the couldn't tapes. Believe where literally they, every single tape. Uh, they should from, have flipped where they went. Honestly, <laughs> um, Kyle Duggar, the last one on this list, and then we'll jump to our Thanksgiving preview. But Kyle Duggar, this he is has not been. He has not been on officially. The fun to watch. Watch, but if I was a piece of shit. 
I would tweet, tweet out, out that Kyle Duggar is fun to watch. He is. Well, you are. So how come you have him? <laughs> he is a physical freak and this like mismatch yeah. nightmare. I think you talked about him a little bit on the Monday podcast. But six foot two, two twenty, athletic as all hell. A second round pick in twenty twenty, and over the past two weeks, he's graded really, really well. Over a seventy point one grade on the season, and he's been trial by fire, man. He is coming from Lenore Ryan. Yeah, shitty competition to the NFL. He's already played over a thousand snaps in his NFL career, and you see him improving really every single week. And I, I could, you know, I don't know how much Bill Belichick talks about Kyle Duggar in his press conferences, but he is a Belichick type, and I could see him being in a Patriots uniform for a long time and having a lot of success in this defense because he's exactly what they want. They, he's exactly what they want from their safeties. Yeah, so they McCourty runs the single high when they're deep. Like McCourty's their deep guy. Duggar is there then. Box. Box, chess piece, whatever. He's 241 snaps in the slot so far this slot season. Slot box. 587 in the box. He'll even get up on the line of scrimmage as well. Like He is that guy in that defense. And Taylor made for it. That is his skill set. And as we've seen, three picks this year, pass breakup, and really hot of late. Uh, and 13 targets. He's only allowed uh, 30, 42 yards, excuse me, the past three games. That's pretty damn good. So, yeah, Kyle Duggar. Definitely a big reason for this New England Patriots resurgence defense. Also, a perfect last name for the Duggar. I hardly know her joke that we've been running with over the office. By we, I think you just mean you. <laughs> All right, before we get to the Thanksgiving preview here, we're going to shout out a handful of sponsors for the Tailgate Podcast. First, X-Chair, new sponsor here at Tailgate. Working from home has never been more important than now. Optimize your home office with an X-Chair and in many of our accessories to enhance your focus productivity energy and comfort once you feel the customized support of extra's patented dynamic variable lumbar or dvl for sure there's no going back i have the x chair in the office right and chris collinsworth comes up to my desk and he's like buddy where the hell did you get that freaking chair and i said you obviously don't listen to the pod We've been talking about X-Chair all day long. He sits in it once. He bought five. I don't know if he did or not, but he should, and you should too. It's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X-Chair. With versatile comfort and extraordinary design, X-Chair fits any space, high-performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. Those are all the reasons I love my X-Chair. Now I can't wait to be at work. And sometimes, even when I'm not working, I sit in the X-Chair just to get that feeling. Take my advice. Try X-Chair for yourself, risk-free for 30 days. Go to xchairtailgate.com now. That's letter X, chair, T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E dot com or call one eight four 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 x chair for $100 off your first order. That's, that's the tailgate guarantee. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. XChairTailgate.com. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. And I'm not going to bring up X-Chair without also bringing up Manscaped. Manscaped just launched new products, including their all-new ultra-premium body wash and a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. It's time to give yourself or someone who needs it the gift of beautiful skin, hair, and balls this holiday season. Go to manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the Signature Lawnmower 4.0. This electric, electric trimmer has proprietary advanced skin safe technology to reduce the cuts on your nuts. Tis the season! To load up on Manscaped products, so go for your go get yourself, your dad, your brother, and friends the best gift of all, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Clean up your nuts. And my favorite, make Santa proud this year. Here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. Are you making Santa proud this year, Mike? Yeah. And if you are, how right. are you doing it? I probably am not. Uh, I have no interest in attempting to. 
I'm making Santa proud this year by trimming the sack. That's all I, that's all I need. All right, Thanksgiving preview. Bears, Lions. And if you are not a PFF Elite subscriber, you can use promo code CYBER40 for 40% off any PFF subscription right now. And Green Line sees value on all three games on Ooh. Thanksgiving. All three games. First value is on the Bears, minus three and a half, even with Andy Dalton getting the start. Wait, Here's even a- with Andy Dalton getting the start. I mean, he's been better than just like Yeah, well, it, well, some people see him as the backup on this team. I mean, he, he is, but like... It's not. I don't even see. Like I, I honestly think the offense goes better with Andy Dalton. I think it'd be more consistent with Andy Dalton. And the more, the bigger thing is here. Tim Boyle's getting the start. Tim Boyle stinks, though. That's the biggest thing. How, yeah, oh, how, are, the, how are the Bears with Andy Dalton? Yeah, it's on the road. Yeah, it's a short week. Whatever. It's a short week for both teams. How are they only three and a half point favorites of the Lions? I like the Bears a ton in this yeah. one. Andy Dalton is going to show up and actually know what he's doing, whereas Tim Boyle. I mean, Tim Boyle is not a good quarterback. This is going to be hard to watch on Thanksgiving. Well, we, we in that game review, we kind of harped on Baker because obviously that's a more interesting storyline. But we forgot to mention, or didn't get to mention, the fact that Tim Boyle completed 65% of his passes. 65% of his passes. 15 to 23 for only 77 yards. He was 3.3 yards per attempt while completing 65% of his passes. That's tough to do. He had three turnover when he plays with an average depth of target of 4.2. Those are unbelievable. That's not just hard to do. That like that is close to impossible. Like you have to be completely shitting the bed. That's, to have that's that an happen. amazing stat line, the likes of which I haven't seen any time lately. I need to go do some research on if we've ever had three turnover the plays on that low an average depth of target. But yeah, I just don't think even with you know Khalil Mack out for the year, Bears defense still has some teeth. Uh, At least I'm, enough I, teeth be, to stop Tim Boyle. I'm, I may be napping hungover in the second half, but I will still be betting the Bears as I drive through Indiana on this one. Over under how many Dan Campbell kneecap jokes on Thanksgiving. No. I think it's going to be a fucking absolute festival. It's going to no, be like Josh Allen is, sacking right. Josh Allen. You're right. It's, it's going to be uh, – We need to do something. Gonna be, we need, we need to turkey. There's going to be a turkey, and if they win – He's going to be like, does that turkey have kneecaps that he can bite? Oh, my God. I'm calling it right now. Someone's going to make it. Here's the thing. If you listen to the tailgate and you're listening to this episode, we need tags on Twitter. Yeah, you when see you see anybody jokes. make a kneecap joke about Dan Campbell during this Thanksgiving game, I don't care if it's the Pope. I want to know. If the Pope is stepping in and getting in there, it might be actually pretty funny. But we need to see it. Like I'm going to see. I'm talking verified accounts are going to be kneecap after kneecap. It's going to be a fucking festival. Yeah. It's going to be a festival. All right, Raiders, Cowboys. My Raiders, after letting me down against the Cincinnati Bengals, are seven and a half point dogs at home. And Green Line, PFF Green Line, sees value on Las Vegas plus seven and a half. That's a big line. It's a short week, and a dis- after a disaster on both sides yeah. here. Cowboys obviously wanted to put up more points against Kansas City. They lose what sixteen nine. Raiders looked like a shell of themselves against Cincinnati Bengals. Derek Carter in one the- one of the worst performances that he's had this season. He's on a downward spiral. And honestly, even with the hook and the seven and a half and green line backing LV, I like Dallas. Like this Raiders team on the road on a short week with all the travesty that has gone on, or tragedy rather, that has gone on on the sidelines there and everywhere for the Raiders. I don't see how they go on the road and win this game. There was just not enough there. There's just not enough there. I don't think they cover the seven and a half. Yeah. What they're averaging under 15 a game since Henry Ruggs obviously got arrested. Um, they, I, I do not trust their offensive score, but seven and a half is a monster line. Uh, I, I kind of am with you, though. It's like, 
I just don't see the Raiders bouncing back anytime soon. I mean, Micah Parsons versus Brandon Parker. Are you kidding me? With the way Micah Parsons has been rushing the passer lately, Brandon Parker can't move. Like the, that, the Brandon Parker pick, for him to be a third rounder when he was not like First an athletic pick of project. of the third round. When he was not like an athletic project, like did not have good testing numbers for a guy from North Carolina A&T. It was like, where's the hope? And obviously in year four, he's still grading in the low 50s. Um, yeah, I, I don't love picking this game, but yeah, I'm going to lean with the Manic Cowboys. Yeah. So they traded up. I remember. They traded, nah, they, they I, traded I up. Bet this game. I'm not going to bet this game. You're not betting this game? I don't want to. So they traded up all the way to pick number 65, the first pick of the third round, to get Brandon Parker. They yep. traded multiple picks to go get him. And he has been, not one, struggling to see the football field. Two, when he has played, not great. Still better, though, than starting their first round or Alex Leatherwood at tackle. So they moved him into guard and taking Brandon Parker's spot. There's, it's, it, there's so much hardship. I looked this up recently. Over the past 10, no, 15 years, the Raiders ranked bottom three in total points scored, uh, uh, score dif- scoring differential, and win percentage. They have been a bottom three franchise for 15 years. Yeah. It's been a tragedy, man. It's been a tragedy. Bills at Saints. Saints four and a half point dogs at home. This line was a little tighter than I expected. Green line still sees value on Trevor Simeon and the New Orleans Saints. But if there's ever been a time for Josh Allen to right the ship in prime time to, to shut up some of the doubters here, I think it's this one, right? And I think New Orleans defense is playing well. The offense is what scares me. I don't love what Trevor Simeon is doing on offense. I don't love what the Saints are doing on offense. They're still working to get back healthy, right? Like, is Alvin Kamara, is Teron Armstead going to be back in this game? Chauncey Gardner-Johnson also battling injuries still. Like, is this Saints team healthy enough to keep this game close? And I know the Bills are coming off a pretty disgusting loss to Indianapolis Colts. I think they win that game. Bills win that win that game. I think this number is closer to six, maybe seven and a half. I think you're buying them at the bottom of the market. Out, yeah. I think I go Bills here at four and a half. Yeah, Bills are the... The, the quintessential like shit on bad QB defense like they have suffocated every bad quarterback they faced and then they faced some real offenses and all of a sudden hasn't been as good but this is obviously New Orleans Saints team led by a bad quarterback so like I, I do not foresee Trevor effing Simeon being able to figure out Doug McDermott's defense I, I just don't I just don't on a short week no no Doug McDermott Oh God, I always I always do that. Who the fuck is Doug McDermott? Doug McDermott's the basketball player. <laughs> um, all right, off the Thanksgiving preview. Remember, big takeaways from this one. What are your actionables? What do you need to do? Tag us in any Dan Campbell kneecap jokes. I think Sam Monson's tossing out one. I know Sam doesn't listen to the podcast all that atten- you know attentively. I think he throws out one. Right? I mean, over under one, one and a half. Where would you put the line? Uh, I mean, no one's going to make more than one. I think Sam could make two. Making two would be psychotic. I'm going to go over. Plus 200. Plus 200. Sam goes over one and a half. Dan Campbell kneecap jokes. Just just two. Just one and a half. Just one and a half. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this and he adjusts the line. Okay. okay. It could be. I could see him make one and then like double down in a reply. I can see. Okay. So I'm saying not no, replies don't count. Okay. Well, replies then I, don't think, I think it's under. But count. I do. I do think it's going to be at least one. All right. It's going to be. It's going to be fun to fun to follow. Before we get to our college football playoff talk and you talking yourself into Notre Dame's path here, this Thanksgiving, B 
Be thankful for family, food, and free bets. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has a turkey day no-brainer you can't miss. New customers can bet just $1 on any Thanksgiving NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you could still get in on the Thanksgiving action. Make your first deposit, and you can play for free. You can play free for millions with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest. DraftKings is a safe, secure, and reliable place to bet. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF and bet just $1 on any Thanksgiving NFL game and win $100 in free bets. If either team scores a point, that's promo code PFF this Thanksgiving at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply to DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Also going to bring up, whether it's football success or financial savvy, the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies. Western Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Want to hear about Chris's old playing days? Or behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Now you can ask about either or both. And every football or financial question you earn Earns you a chance. You ask earns you a chance to win a catered party for February's big game. Check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, when Western Southern, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Playoff talk right now. According to PFF, the favorites to go to the college football playoff are Georgia with a 99% chance. Because even if they lose to Bama, they're going, right? I mean, this is this is obvious. They, can lo- they, 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 they have to lose to Georgia Tech also. They have to, you know? If they don't make it, they'd have to lose to Georgia Tech and lose to Bama yeah. in the SEC. I, I don't even care if they like, get blown out by Bama. They're still going. Yeah. Ohio State is the second-ranked team, according to PFF's power rankings, which you can get on pff.com, at 62%. I'm buying Ohio State as a legitimate contender in the playoff, too. Mm-hmm. What would you set that line at between Georgia and Ohio State if they met at one point in the playoff? Ooh. I think it's tight. I don't think it's more than a touchdown for Georgia, me. like five? Three and a half, probably. Yeah, three and a half over yeah. the hook. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think it would be a hell of a game, too. C.J. Stroud's playing like the Heisman frontrunner, which he is, according to all betting sports books right now. Then you have Cincinnati. Tied with Bama, 59% chance to go in. Mm-hmm. Who do you think is more likely to get into the playoff between those two? Cincinnati. I bet. Just because I think Georgia's a better team. Two loss, Bama. We talked about in the other episode. Like having just lost the team that they're gonna play again, I just I'd be hard pressed to see the committee let that. Rounding out the fly. teams with a chance. Notre Dame at five, forty seven percent. Oklahoma State at thirty percent. Obviously, if they win the Big Ten, Big Twelve title and the committee likes that. Oklahoma at twenty seven percent. And then Michigan. Last but not least, and teams that are even like remotely mm-hmm. close, Michigan at 16%. If you had to pick yeah. right now, bet your life on it with a gun to your head, or you had to tweet out a Dan Campbell kneecap joke on Thanksgiving, who would be what you think will be the final four? I think it's going to be Georgia, Ohio State, Cincinnati, and Notre Dame. I you really do? Yeah, I truly do. Oh, my God. I, do. I was not joking. How do they get there? How does Notre Dame get so there? So that's here we go. That's what I'm going to break down for you right now. I'm going to go all Charlie Day in... Uh, always sunny, where he's got the board and love all the it. lines love it. connected. But here's how I foresee the top 10 being released. Obviously, we're doing this before it gets released. I think it's going to be Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Cincinnati, Michigan, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, Ole Miss, Oklahoma, Oregon. I think that's going to be how the top 10 release. Whatever. Tonight, it's not Tonight, yeah. If it's not, no big deal. But I think, like we said, Georgia, 
So they're at number one in these hypothetical rankings. They're in unless they shit their pants against Georgia Tech. Not going to happen. They're in. Ohio State win out and they're in. Michigan this weekend. Wisconsin most likely in the Big Ten Championship. Should game. be two doves. Right now Ohio Which, State's favored by yeah. seven and a half, eight over Michigan on the road in Ann Arbor. They haven't won. No, Michigan hasn't won since 2011 mm-hmm. in that rivalry. But So I think that spot where it's Ohio State is going to be accounted for by whoever wins this weekend, Ohio mm-hmm. State or Michigan. Michigan wins. I think they win the Big Ten Championship game. Then they're in. Now, if Michigan wins and then loses the Big Ten Championship game or vice versa, Ohio State wins, wins the Big Ten Championship game, all hell will break loose. But I think that spot's going to be that. That'll be fun hell, though. And then Cincinnati, obviously ECU this weekend. Houston in the championship game, Houston's no slouch. That's going to be a dogfight. That's actually going to be a difficult game for Cincinnati. They lose any of those two games. They are out. They win both those two games. My opinion, I don't see how anyone could jump them at this point. I think they are going to be it. Like I said, they're fourth in cyclical rankings. I don't see just with how many of these teams have to play each other, how anyone gets in. Notre Dame. So then up next we have so in those so that we have Alabama then sitting at three. They just cannot get blown out by Georgia. If they keep it close to Georgia or beat Georgia. I think they can get in. Like a field goal at the end. Some, even with two losses? Even with two losses, I think they can. But if it's like a fourth quarter game where they're really having to come back and it's not happening, I, I cannot see the committee giving it to them. Obviously, you lose to Texas A&M, who's not a bad football team, but also not like a team that's even getting talked about in these playoffs. That's just, you should have won that game. Sorry, that happens. Uh, so if they get kind of housed by Georgia, they it just it would be a shit fit like georgia would throw a shit fit mm-hmm. saying hey why do we have to play this team yet again mm-hmm. after we just beat them to prove they were the best in the country i don't think the committee would do that they would just get too much shit for that so alabama just either has to win or keep it close and michigan obviously went out there in but can't lose this weekend notre dame needs to handle stanford and then here's what they need, they need some help like i said they need alabama to lose handily and they need the big 12 to kind of split they need it to either be oklahoma they probably would rather have Oklahoma win twice because they're not getting as much love from the committee. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma to win twice because if Oklahoma wins against Oklahoma State this weekend, they would play again in the Big 12 championship game. And they need them to either split those two where Oklahoma wins and then Oklahoma State wins in the Big 12 championship game, which would obviously knock both out, or for Oklahoma to win twice but win not necessarily convincingly twice, or Oklahoma to beat Oklahoma State and then lose to Baylor. That's what... Notre Dame needs to get in. And then obviously, if you're Oklahoma State or Oklahoma, you need two blowouts and then some help in front of you. Like yeah. we talked about with all these, you need the committee to basically buy in to you being a real team, which Oklahoma, too, CBD. is a four-point dog on the road against Oklahoma State. Yeah. So if Oklahoma State wins there and wins the Big, Ten, Big 12 National Championship, that will cause some hell towards the back end as well. My take is, I think we see Georgia... But that, but that's it. Like I said, that is yeah. the Ole Miss ain't making it. Oregon ain't making it. You, the rest of them ain't making it. I, I, I like where your head's at in that it's Georgia, Ohio State, and then you're saying Cincinnati, Notre Dame. That's what you think it's going to happen. Yeah. I, I'm of the opinion. I'm what I'm rooting for is chaos at the top. I'm rooting for a Bama upset in the <sighs> SEC championship. You I know want, I'm not rooting. For I that. want Bama to upset Georgia. So then Bama goes to one. You'd have to put them at one. Okay. Right. Or do you keep Georgia ahead because they've been... I mean, if Ohio State lights up Michigan, they could be at one. True. So regardless, and then then your top three spots, because I think Ohio State does win out. Then your top three spots are a combination of Georgia, Bama, Ohio State. Yeah. And then this fourth piece here, you'd have to give. Like, there is no argument that you'd have to give it to an undefeated Cincinnati, right? If Cincinnati wins out, 
you're not going to put a one-loss Michigan, a one-loss, or no, it well, would be a two-loss Michigan in this situation. One-loss you're not, Notre Dame. You're not going to put a one-loss Notre Dame Definitely who not. lost to Cincinnati yeah. over Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. So I do think that's the chaos I'm rooting for. I want it Georgia, Ohio State, Bama, the fir- whatever, in the first three. And then Cincinnati to actually get in. The, I, I think that, Those I think are that's probably the want. four best teams in America mm-hmm. now. Notre Dame's five, right? Or Notre six, Dame. right Right there with Michigan. Notre Dame's right. And Notre Dame has been hot. I, I'm not going to debate we're getting that close they're to. the top four. We could get into a situation where Michigan plays Notre Dame in a bowl game here. I would hate that. Flirt, flirt with one of those in the New York Six. Who knows? Who knows? This college football playoff talk, why do you think it gets – I don't understand why people get so fired up and upset about it, right? Like, it's nonsensical. It's almost like getting upset at randomness. Like, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, none of this matters, right? I don't know. I mean, not making the playoff does suck, though. It does. I still, the one, the one the team that still got boned the hardest – was I 2014 TCU, I want to say, when they got jumped, or was it 2015? Is they the one that got jumped by Ohio State when Ohio State won 59 to nothing over Wisconsin? And then TCU goes to their bowl and I think beats Ole Miss by like 40. Like a top 10 Ole Miss team beats them by 40. That TCU defense was legit, legit that year. Ohio State, I believe, ended up winning the national championship also, but still didn't feel right that TCU got leaped there. Is that the Trayvon Boykin years? Yeah. Those, those years were hot. Those years were hot. Squads. Those years were hot. All right. Watch Wednesdays. Let's close out with this. This is where we go with the bus watch, the other bus watch, wash, watch, and breakout watch. First bust, you can guess which bust this is. Yeah. Kenneth Murray. Mm. Not panning out for the Los Angeles Chargers, a former first-round pick, and also one of the biggest consensus reaches in that draft class. Uh, he has not played well. He didn't play well as a rookie, but we kind of gave everyone a mulligan as a rookie, and then so far this year has not played well and battled injuries. Yeah, so battles injuries, obviously. He has an ankle in practice after first three weeks of the season, but then comes back week 10 against Minnesota. Didn't play particularly well. Uh, came back this game against Pittsburgh. Tweaks his ankle again, even though he ends up coming back in the game. But so now in 217 snaps across four and a half games, we'll say four total defensive stops, a 53.7 PFF grade. That's that's just brutal. That what is, was your take on Murray coming out? Right, I think a lot of people liked his athleticism. He flew to the football. Everyone talked about that. But like, what was your take outside of that shit? I mean, he was there was a reason it was one of the biggest kinds of reaches because he just was lost far too often. It was not he had playmaking ability was not a playmaker. Like you, the, the amount of times he got his hands on footballs throughout his college career was just so low. Uh, so I think you're kind of seeing that. The nose for the football was just never there in his Oklahoma career. But obviously, freak athlete, tools are there. But, man, this is a little scary at this point if you're a charge fan. Going to break up Washed Watch to announce from U Stadium, who has a lot of guys that are close with sources, is saying Dave Gettleman is quote-unquote as good as gone. It's going to be a quote-unquote total house cleaning with the entire staff. You already said at the top here with Jason Garrett leaving, this is going to be a domino that led to a lot of people leaving. What my question is, is how does this affect their approach with Daniel Jones. I think does this mean Daniel Jones is also as good as gone? And what value do you see him having in the offseason? Because I do think teams could like like the Sam Darnold situation, right? I don't think yeah. anyone's trading a second round pick for fucking Daniel Jones. I hope not. I hope people saw what happened with Darnold and trying to like take on these reclamation projects with high day two picks makes no sense. But a third, a fourth, or something along those lines to bring in a Daniel Jones, if you aren't one of those teams that can get an obvious upgrade at the quarterback position, I do think makes sense. 
I think he has more values to the Giants than that, though. I don't know, like a third? I, I would just keep him and also draft quarterback if you wanted to. Yeah. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. I guess, I guess that makes sense, though. When you do get into that range of like, yeah. okay, do we, Daniel Jones is it's a good like, backup. Like, I mean, Daniel yeah. Jones, you're losing Daniel Jones for a third and losing a guy that's been here for a while. I mean, it does make sense. Exactly. You're not paying him a ton somewhere in the neighborhood of $6 million a year. It's like the chance of him coming good and then you having the fifth-year option on him which actually you're probably not going to exercise. So the chance of him coming good, and then you have the franchise tag on him to then possibly trade him or get some value in return from, and whoever you do draft, if you do draft a quarterback, having them, because you do have for two first-round picks, having them get you know, backup reps could be helpful. The East-West Shrine Bowls getting some horns up here. They recently got uh, Kellen Dyche, the offensive tackle. It's grading really well for us, I'm saying. We're getting, getting, some, getting a bunch of tags for East-West Shrine Bowl here. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, moving to Bus Watch Hall of Fame. This one we haven't already mentioned. Are we not? Rob Gronkowski, I think, was when we did that whole, yeah. who are the current Hall of Famers? Rob Gronkowski was obviously on there. Rob Gronkowski, like, borderline changed the position. This is not Hall of Fame watch. This is Hall of Fame, duh. Yeah. That's fair. He's not definitely. We do kind of stress this segment out a little bit, right? It's like identifying a Hall of Fame watch every week is kind of tough. I think what we could do is start identifying like younger players at it, right? Like looking at third, fourth year guys that are maybe on that pace um, as we're kind of mocking on. But Rob Gronkowski, man, like this, you're just mailing this shit in. I know, maybe a little bit. He, but he's back from injury and playing like he's fucking Brady's top target. What's he like? The fact that he goes away for a year comes back and now is just like not showing any signs of age after he looked like he was completely toast back in 2018 and now is just two years back in the nfl and looking better than he did that season is kind of just kind of ridiculous pouring one out for one of quinn's favorites Carlos Dunlap officially on washed watch was such a consistent was like a Sam Hubbard type in terms of lunch pail consistency for the Cincinnati Bengals for a long time he was a former second round pick played for them for a majority of his career now he's with the Seattle Seahawks earning just a 67.4 PFF grade so far this year and also you know more than that like he's playing well against the run and that's largely propping up what his grade is like he's just no longer the pass rusher he once was just 20 total pressures on the season he has not been that impact player for Seattle as a pass rusher and once you lose that yeah gets harder and harder to grade really well and gets harder and harder to make like a positive impact along the defensive line yes he has not had a pressure the past two weeks for the Seattle Seahawks and they were obviously in desperate need of someone being able to rush the passer we talked about that a ton going into the season that hey if you got bad corners you better at least be able to rush the passer oh well they don't have that either necessarily with Carlos Dunlap after they signed him to a, a not a big contract but a extension this offseason just has not nearly 33 years old breakout watch and i'm so glad he's made the list he's one of my favorite prospects in this class amani hooker former iowa safety currently plays for the tennessee titans and what was that you know like what i mentioned earlier a very inexperienced secondary but he was awesome at iowa Mm -hmm. never like the freakiest of athletes but man so well coached so well disciplined in that zone heavy scheme and he is now playing really well for the tennessee titans yes 88.8 overall grade and now that's hot yeah and now he did not start the year as a starter but has come on strong of late already uh only 84 yards allowed in his coverage all season long 250 coverage snaps he had a really sick breakup what was that a couple weeks ago uh against the rams down the football field he's been 
very solid in the back end. They have two of the higher grade safeties in the NFL. So Monty Hooker, that was one we called for a while. It, and even on limited time last year, I was like, this guy, like, just give him more snaps. And he's going to be productive. 78 coverage grade. He's, yeah, very good. Last but not least, and then we get on to our first-round lock segment. You're continuing to add here. With watch, Jonathan Taylor. Mm. We did not have him as the RB1 in that class. Yes, we had DeAndre Swift. And now DeAndre Swift, after they got Taylor Decker back, has back-to-back 100-yard games. He is a very good receiver of the football. I, I was talking with uh, Trevor Sigma earlier on Sunday about about that running back class because he was like he had Jonathan Taylor – RB1 the whole time, and then all of a sudden changed it because, you know, he got talked in. He said he got talked into the receiving ability of DeAndre Swift. And I do think DeAndre Swift's senior ability is pretty special. But pure running ability, yeah, it's Jonathan Taylor in that class. He was 80th on the PFF draft board. And obviously, we're not super high in running backs. But the ranking of him as RB3 behind DeAndre Swift, Zach Moss, looking poor. In retrospect, yeah, definitely. Uh, Jonathan Taylor has been a monster. What, what, what was it with Jonathan Taylor that kind of led him to getting faded? Was it the pass catching ability? I know we talked about his drops a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's kind of a. He still is a straight line ish running back. He's not a guy who has a ton of moves, but he's so physically dominant that like, shit, he doesn't need a ton of moves. Like, he, you're gonna bounce off his thighs if you hit him, if unless you hit him completely square. So, overrated that aspect of this game close us out with the first round lock in the 2022 nfl draft and also give us an update on the list yes first round lock segment my favorite and i don't think i missed one yet maybe i have well i think some of them might be going back to school some oh, let's hope some of them will go back to school if, if they're not gonna be first rounders so i don't look like an idiot but we got this is 14th one we're getting halfway through the first round here Kayvon thibodeau Derek singley evan neal aiden hutchinson kyle hamilton demarvin leal Tyler Linderbaum, Garrett Wilson, Ikki Aquanu, George Karloftis, N'Kobe Dean, Charles Cross. Last week was Jamison Williams. This week, going to do it. I usually try to go after guys had a big week, so I kind of like pump them up. I love that. This one, they played Charleston Southern, but Jordan Davis is going to be a first-round pick. You don't Did look you like see he he's a finalist for the Outland Trophy? <sighs> he's a finalist for the Outland Trophy along with Ikki Aquanu, and I believe the guard, Tyler, Lind- Tyler Linderbaum. Yeah, yeah. better. Uh, I mean, the, the hype around his college performance is far overblown in terms of his impact on Georgia's defense so far this season. I mean, he, he's a good college player. Don't get me wrong. He's played 256 snaps all year. He has eight pressures. <laughs> you know? like I mean, it, how much of it is because he's the size of, like, Mars? That's it. I mean, that's it. Like, that is... And he's playing, obviously, for the number one team in the country. Yes, like, that's like, a big part of it, too. It when is, we were on those Georgia's calls, an imposing defense, and he's the most imposing guy. That's <laughs> it. Like, that is... People put those two dots together and are like... Would you say Devontae be. Wyatt's better? Um, I, I think he's been more impactful. Definitely as a pass rusher. 100%. And I think Jalen Carter's been more impactful. Like, those guys play more snaps. Than Kobe him. Dean has been more impactful. I mean, Kobe Dean's the been their best, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, defender. But, like, yes, Jordan Davis does not get moved off the line of scrimmage. He also doesn't, like, play a make a ton of <laughs> Yeah, play a ton or make a ton of plays because he is fucking enormous. But projecting to the NFL, like, the guy that doesn't get moved off the line of scrimmage is still, at his size, not going to get moved off the line of scrimmage. Like, he is going to be, you feel about as confident as him holding up in the running game as any defensive tackle we scout here at PFF. You know? I don't mean to put you on the spot, but like honestly, compare him 
to Derek Brown as prospects. I mean, he's right? I think- much better in the run game than Derek Brown. <laughs> Derek Brown was probably a tad more nimble as a pass rusher, for sure. Kind but of like, a dancing bear type. Don't say dancing bear. You know. <laughs> What's wrong with dancing bear? I mean, well, Jordan no, Davis is also like bigger, right? I mean, Jordan Davis is like six foot six, three forty. Yeah, Derek Brown coming out was like six foot four, three twenty, six foot yeah. five, three twenty. Uh, is a little more nimble, probably a little more as pass rusher, a little more like refined. Davis is just the most physically dominant human no being. Yeah, like yeah, like he just is. No, we haven't talked about Derek Brown a ton on this show. Yeah, well, maybe we could bring him up. I mean, he has been because he's kind of like the reason why you don't. Draft defense Draft tackle defense size that high because sixty one point zero PFF grade in twenty twenty a sixty one point three PFF grade this year and only you know, sub sixty point zero PFF grades against the run so far this year he has yeah. not he has sixteen been, pressures yeah again like run defense matters a lot when you're especially with the way defense is playing and run defense is for a defensive tackle like especially nose tackle as probably important as your pass rushing ability in today's NFL but guys who are not particularly athletic, just straight up look better in college. They do mm-hmm. because it is easier to manhandle guys at the collegiate level. It just is. Like when you, when you are 6'5", 325, and you are a senior, the man amongst boys, you are going to look far more physically dominant. I think that's been the biggest thing with Derek Bryant. He's 55.8 run defense grade this year. I don't know why this year they've moved him so much off the nose. Last year he had the highest pass rush win rate, I think, of any player on the nose. And he played over 200 snaps on the nose last year. This year he's only had like 30-ish snaps on the nose. Like he's playing more against guards. And like those guys become more athletic. Those those spaces get tighter. Like this is... I don't know, man. Like Derek Brown, I think does need to play more inside. Like that's where he's going to win. And now that he's playing, you know, closer to the edges there, like he's getting, you know, pushed off the ball a lot more in the run game, and also not making an impact as a pass rusher. You want him on the center. You want Derek Brown on the center, and just hasn't been the case for Derek Brown this year. All right. Well, I'm gone off on a tangent on the Derek Brown stuff. Maybe we'll bring him up on Bus Watch next year. Who knows? That's gonna do it though for the Tailgate Podcast. He's not a bust, but it's just for seventh overall pick. Maybe it's a bust. You would have. You would have liked to have done. We need a we need an in between between bust and star, right? You need someone more like, yeah, he's solid, but you probably could have got better return. Yeah, pretty much you. You're like it's kind of like where you're. At. I mean, he's not C.J. Henderson. C.J. Henderson yeah, yeah. two picks later, he's not that fair. But totally fair. You Carolina Panthers, you would have liked Jedrick Wills or Mackay Becton right now. Couple or updates to close out the show. Couple updates sure to close would. out the show. We are going to be on the Chris Collinsworth podcast. Make sure you jump on and listen to the Chris Collinsworth podcast. Mike and I are going to chop it up with Chris, talk about the tailgate tours, college football, Heisman race, all that stuff, and. We are going to Ann Arbor this week. That's why I got the Michigan gear. Ann Arbor, we're going to be there. We're going to be at Scorekeepers, the bar. I think there before, after, during the game. It's going to be all day affair. Got hats to give away, chats to give away. Make sure you jump on. Go to Ann Arbor. If you're not there yet, go now. We'll meet you guys there. Ann Arbor. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, tailgate.